Welcome to episode 170 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on October 2nd, 2021. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. And if you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. For those who have seen the show or listened to the show before, you will likely notice some changes this week. I like to mess around with how I do the show in some way or another pretty much every week. And this week, I'm going to be trying to do more topics than I have ever done before in a single show, but also try to keep them concise and streamlined. So we will see if this works or not. It's going to be an adventure at least. It might work great. It also might blow up in my face. Either way, we'll find out. So let's do that right now on your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Up first in the show this week, we're going to talk about some gaming news. We have a lot of cool stuff from Valve that they announced for related to Steam or related to Proton. So much cool stuff. And before we get started, if you are uh, someone who does not like gaming, you can check out the links in the description. Uh, there's also you know timestamps like a segment index where you can just jump around to whatever you want to. And if you're listening to the podcast, there's also chapters. So if you don't like gaming and you don't like the fact that I'm starting with gaming, you can just skip to something else. So that is an option. The reason I'm saying this is because I had comments for people telling me that they stop watching the show when I get to gaming. And since I'm starting with gaming, you know, keep watching the show. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about some gaming stuff. So we have Steam beta update, first of all. And this, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff in here, but the biggest thing is that they are reducing the size of the Vulkan pre-caching data sets, data sets by splitting and versioning them according to Proton versions. Now, the reason this is important, this is to have games perform much faster when you hit the play button to start rather than having to wait for everything to, to load up with the caching and all that stuff, which sometimes happens now. Also, it will be helping the overall performance of the Proton games as well, So, which is, that's great. Now, the other thing that they did for this latest beta release is the improvements to the game file verification system. Now, this is really cool because uh, it will try to reuse as much of a corrupted file as possible to save download, download bandwidth in case you have some kind of uh, corruption in your save data rather than trying to get everything from the Steam cloud to fix the issue. So that is very cool. So to make it a lot easier for people who have not very fast internet connections. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is the Steam Next Fest. Now, the Steam Next Fest, Next Fest is a thing that is an event where you can try new demos of various games. You can also watch developer live streams as they show off the game or if they work on the game and so much more. Now, there are a lot of games that are going to be here to test it out. In fact, there's a, you know, a filter which I think is great because it's the first event for the next fest that I've seen where they have this filter where you can specify you only want to check out native Linux games. And I'll have a link in the show notes that will take you directly to that with it already filtered. However, if you are just casually going to the Steam Next Fest, you can scroll down and on the bottom left of the left side sidebar, you will find the option to activate just showing Steam or just showing Steam Play slash Linux. Now, if you want to try out games for Proton, well... You'll just have to dig around and find stuff manually because there's not a test. There's not a filter for that. There should be. Just, just a note, Valve, if you want to make a filter for all kinds of searches for Proton support, that would be awesome. You could integrate with ProtonDB or whatever. 
That'd be great. You know, think about it. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is the Proton update because Steam Play Proton 6.3 has been released. And now this gets Proton experimental support for DLSS for in, uh, DX12 games on Linux from NVIDIA. Now, NVIDIA announced back in August that they were going to be doing this. And this is fantastic because now it's going to give some improvements for people who are using the latest version of Proton and also with NVIDIA graphics. So that's awesome. Now, next up is the Steam Deck. Everybody is talking about the Steam Deck since it was announced, and we're going to continue to do that because the they, they, there's someone who released some early benchmarks for the dev kit for Valve's Steam Deck. Now, this is cool, but they're probably not happy about this. Valve is probably not very happy about this happening, but it did happen. And now this was post, uh, posted on a Chinese website, so it's in Chinese. And while I, I don't speak Chinese, uh, so I wanted to thank uh, Gaming on Linux for uh, translating that and making an article for this uh, because that made it a lot easier for me to check out the information. If you want to check out the full details, I'll have a link in the show notes for the Gaming on Linux article where you can find out all the different frames per second based on like what settings they had and that kind of thing. But real quick, they did some benchmarks on Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Doom 2016, Cyberpunk 2077, and Dota 2. So we'll have a link in the show notes for checking that out. They did mention that there are some concerns, seemingly, with how the uh, Cyberpunk game was played because there was some um, overheating a little bit because they the user who did the dev kit uh, benchmarks used a digital thermometer on the back of the uh, device as well as the grips of the device and show the different things. And it kind of was, was a little bit hot. So you know, I assume that this is going to be improved later, but also at the same time, Cyberpunk is not really meant to be used on the Steam Deck because it is a game that is more like laser focused for very powerful computers. So it might be because of that, but it also could be that it's a dev kit and they'll improve the thermals later. Who knows? But it is very cool to get this information. So if you want to learn more details about this, check out the link in the show notes. Uh, and also for those who are not familiar, the Steam Deck specs is, you know, it's a very powerful uh, device, even though it's a handheld. And if you're not familiar with the Steam Deck, how have you not heard of this? But you will find links in the show notes to learn more about it because we've covered it on the show many times. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is related to Steam, KDE, and VR. That's right. There was a tweet recently posted that shows someone using VR on KDE Plasma on the Steam Deck, which is just awesome. And it makes me want to get the Steam Deck even more. I mean, I already pre-ordered. I pre-ordered like the day it came out within a couple hours. Actually, I tried to do it immediately, but their system wouldn't let me like check out as quick as I wanted to. But I eventually did get in, so I am looking forward to it. Hopefully, I will get it as soon as possible. I think it's quarter one next year but they don't really say exactly when that is. But, you know, fingers crossed. I can't wait. I can't wait to play with the Steam Deck. I can't wait to play with KDE Plasma on the Steam Deck and maybe even VR. Who knows? And if you want to learn more about any of the stuff we talked about related to Steam or, you know, any of the, the uh, Steam Deck stuff or anything else, I'll have links in the show notes below. 
So going from one KDE-related topic, I mean, that's kind of a weird transition, but we did talk about the Steam Deck and KDE. So now let's jump to more KDE because there's a lot of cool stuff that they announced recently related to KDE Plasma 523 and 524. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But also, the 25th anniversary of KDE is very, very close. So October 14th, KDE will be celebrating the 25th anniversary with the release of KDE Plasma 25th Anniversary Edition, which is Plasma 523. Now, this is not the 25th anniversary of Plasma. This is 25th anniversary of KDE as an organization, so or, or a community, I guess you could say. So that's the difference. But you know, Plasma has been around for a long time, since 2008, just not 25 years. <laughs> Anyway, this is awesome news, and I am so grateful to KDE making Plasma and all the other great stuff they did, so I'm happy they're around for as long as they have, and I hope they continue to another 25 years. So fingers crossed on that one. But let's talk about KDE Plasma 523, because there's a lot of great stuff that I'm excited to try out. Uh, there's, For example, there's a new override a color scheme option, so you can change the accent colors in the system settings color page. Uh, you, this is actually something you could do already inside of system settings, but it required a little bit more complicated stuff to do. You had to change many different features and settings and stuff like that. Now, this is much easier to customize the look of your system because you just click a single selection to pick the one you want, and that's it. You're good to go, which is awesome. Now, KDE Plasma 524 is going to be making an additional change to that where you can not only have like the default selected options or like just ones that they're predetermined, you can also create custom accent colors coming in 524. So I'm excited. There's a lot of cool stuff in Plasma 523 in addition to the, the accent colors. We have some improvements to the Breeze theme. So they have redesigned the buttons, the menu items, checkboxes, sliders, and so much more. Also, they have made a lot of improvements to Kickoff. The code received a huge overhaul, and they have a lot of improved performance and accessibility with Kickoff, which is fantastic. They've also made some improvements to the touchscreen support, as well as Wayland support, which is awesome. I can't wait to see you know Wayland taking over completely because there's a lot of cool stuff you can do in Wayland. And so I'm look I'm really looking forward to when all the DEs have that as a default. Because Wayland is, you know, current. some people talk about Wayland is not ready yet, but it, it can do so many cool things that I want it to be ready. So I'm happy to see that they're working on that. They've also done a lot of other improvements, such as being able to easily switch power profiles and many more. But we also have some more information about KDE Plasma 524 that I want to talk about, and that is the ability to have a global keyboard shortcut that you can move to the, the window, like the center of your screen. You can move a window to the center of your screen, and I really like that because it makes it easier to uh, manipulate the windows for, the, for people who want to do the quick tiling and that kind of thing, which is quite nice. I've tried to find it before, so I am glad to see that they're adding it because I will use it quite a bit. Now, another thing that I will use quite a bit is the new calendar app. That's right. So I am absurdly excited for this. I've wanted a modern calendar app on Linux for a while, and this looks so good. Now, there's a month view, schedule, agenda, task view, all that sort of stuff, and they have a lot of improvements for the latest under the hood improvements like the performance and the UI uh, animations and all these kinds of things. So that's really cool. But the thing that makes me most excited about this is that it has support for many different calendar services. So if you have a calendar in Nextcloud or Google Calendar or anything else that Akanadi, I think that's how you say it, works with, then you can use those inside of Calendar, which is awesome. So I there's a lot of calendar apps in Linux, but they all have some hit or miss feature. And so far, just looking at the demos, 
the calendar with a K looks awesome and I can't wait to use it. Now it is still under heavy development. so There's no stable releases just yet. However, if you are an Arch user or an OpenSUSE Tumbleweed user, you can, ha you can try those out uh, with the AOR and Arch or the uh, Open Build Service uh, repo for Tumbleweed users. Uh, also real quick, for the person who is working on the Tumbleweed uh, OB Open Build Service repo support, you're using that to create an RPM for OpenSUSE and I like to formally request an RPM for Fedora so I can play with it. It'd be great. Just, just saying. Oh, also, if you decide to give it a spin, you do need to read the install instructions first because if you if you don't, you may have you may miss a certain things because there are a few prerequisites that you need to do. So be sure to keep that in mind. Now, the next thing for KDE is Caden Live. I'm a big fan of Caden Live. Uh, I've made that clear on many occasions. Uh, I've also uh, been a user of Caden Live for many years. I even make this show with Caden Live. So anytime there's a new thing talking about Caden Live, I am excited to hear about it. And in this case, I'm even more excited because I didn't even know that this was a thing until this news came out. So Caden Live has been added to the ASWF uh, list for open source software for the motion picture industry. So the ASWF is the Academy Software Foundation. Now this is this was created by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, or AMPAS. Uh, probably not that, but I like to say it's AMPAS. And now they, they because they did a two-year survey for figuring out the use of open source software in the motion picture industry. And it's really interesting because the survey found that almost 84% of the industry uses open source software in some way for like animation, visual effects, and all sorts of stuff. But they did find some challenges, such as having siloed development, siloed development as in independent development that are not working together, as well as uh, managing multiple versions of various libraries. Also, the licensing models had conflict and depending on what they were doing. And this is just a way to create a foundation to make it easier to increase the quality and the quantity of open source contributions from these different types of, in, uh, from the motion picture industry, which is awesome. And if you want to check out, there's a lot of great stuff in this list. So there's stuff like uh, Caden Live, like I mentioned. Also, Olive is in there. You got Natron in there, Inkscape, GIMP, so many things. Check it out. I have linked in the show notes, as well as links to everything else that I've talked about related to KDE in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about Alma Linux. For those who are not familiar, Alma Linux is kind of a community successor to CentOS, Oh, well, CentOS Linux, not necessarily. CentOS Stream is still a thing. There's a This is a big conversation. And if you want to learn more, check out the links in the show notes because we've talked about CentOS on many occasions. And it, it's a very interesting topic, but we don't have time to go into everything. But that's what Alma Linux is, a community-driven um, successor to CentOS Linux. Uh, so there's they've announced something that's really interesting and in that they have full UBI-compatible uh, container set with Red Hat's RHEL UBI. Now, what does this mean? Now, the UBI stands for uh, Universal Base Image. Now, what does that mean? Okay, so UBIs are meant to be OpenCI compliant container-based operating system images that allow you to have complementary runtime languages and packages included, which essentially makes them portable. So prior to UBIs, developers would need to package their containerized apps depending on the deployment target. This essentially made those containers not really portable at all. And UBIs allow you to essentially have a standard repeatable build and deployment for your code and application regardless of your deployment target. In addition to all of this stuff, 
They also made some changes to their availability for Docker. They have so they have now two images that are available in the Docker Hub, which is the default and minimal. They also have other images that you can use that are supported for the UBI, such as the uh, micro, which is more minimal than minimal, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but also they have a lot of improvements to the latest release of like security fixes and package updates and all that sort of stuff. Now, Alma Linux is a really interesting uh, successor to CentOS Linux. There are others, but I think Alma Linux is the one I'm most interested in because Alma Linux was created by Cloud Linux, and then it was converted into Alma Linux OS Foundation, which is a 501c6 nonprofit organization, and it's also governed and driven by the community. Now, a lot of people were you know, worried that if something was going to be a successor to CentOS, it would need to be, you know, the whole the community driving it around. And there are some distributions that a lot to like to talk about community, but aren't driven by the community. And Alma Linux is one that is legally speaking forced to be because of the cho the choice they built around the foundation, which is good because they made this on purpose to make sure that this is a community driven and community governed. Uh, operating system that is a successor to CentOS. So if you'd like to learn more about Alma Linux, this particular news about the UBI, or just in general, you'll find links in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. And now is the perfect time to dive into that DigitalOcean because their app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money than you would otherwise have to. Now, with App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. You simply point the App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all of the heavy lifting for you. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, or container images, it has support for all of these things. And by running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your cost significantly lower than other products from other services. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup as well. And as a listener of the Swing and Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app on their app platform for free. Well, better than free, actually, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we have some really interesting news related to Pipewire. A couple of things. We have a new release of Pipewire 0.3.38, which has a lot of improvements for bug fixes and performance, as well as various Bluetooth compatibility improvements and much more. But the thing I want to talk about Pipewire is more about what is the roadmap in the future for uh, Pipewire as a whole. And for those who are not familiar, what is Pipewire? Uh, Pipewire is an awesome project to improve audio and video on the Linux desktop. It's much more than just a replacement for Pulse Audio. It also adds support for pro audio tools like you can use with Jack. So it's a drop-in replacement for Pulse Audio and Jack, which means that software that utilizes either one of them will be able to use Pipewire instantly, which is awesome. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Jack, Jack is a very powerful project that provides pro audio functionality to Linux, and it's been great for a very long time. But it is a little bit complicated to, to get started to use, as well as to even install it, depending on the distro. So it's very cool what they're we're doing with the work on Pipewire. 
one of Pipewire's goals is to bypass the headaches of Jack, which, you know, still being able to use Jack underneath, which is fantastic. Now, essentially, Pipewire provides the best parts of Pulse Audio and Jack in one single API, making it possible to easily get started with Pro Audio tools. It's not just a tool for audio. That's right. Pipewire's focus has been a lot on uh, supporting use cases of Jack and Pulse Audio for a while, but it's also because it doesn't end there. It supports video pipeline as well. Now, in fact, Pipewire started off with the name Pulse Video because it was intended to be a video API, and then they decided to just fix everything which is fantastic. And there was a really good uh, blog post that was sh shared by Christian Schaller that that's, uh, lays out the plans for uh, the in future of Pipewire from a talk that Wim Tamens gave. Uh, for those who don't know, Wim Tamens is the developer for Pipewire. And this is really interesting because the title of the blog post is Pipewire in Fixing the Linux Video Capture Stack. In particular, the area they will be focused on is improving video capture support on Linux. But they're also going to be doing pretty much all of the value in terms of a video, but right now they're gonna be talking about video capture. Uh, and this is really good because here's like a T TLDR. They're gonna be working on lib camera integration for Pipewire, uh, maturing support for GStreamer elements for Pipewire, uh, collaborating with Google Chromium slash Chrome and Mozilla Firefox on using Pipewire for their web camera integrations and also other initiatives that are in the roadmap. Now, for those who want more details, you can check out the links in the show notes, but also new cameras are getting more and more complicated and thus configuring them are getting more and more complicated. Lib Camera is a open source camera stack library that is meant to be a user land library for VL2 or V4L2. V4L2 just rolls right off the tongue. LibCamera provides unified API for setup and capture for cameras. It hides the complexity of modern camera devices, and it is supported on Chrome OS, Android, and Linux. So LibCamera provides hooks to run uh, vendor extensions like for image processing and enhancement and that sort of stuff. Now, Pipewire can offer a lot more flexibility and security and power for video, video handling more so than what we have right now. Because v, V4L2 is not really meant to be used directly, However, most things are using it directly. And, and so Pipewire can make this a lot easier and for developers and also just overall in general, because regardless if you want the screen capture or a camera feed or video playback, Pipewire is designed to be able to do all of this. But depending on the situation, you may or may not have the best experience with Pipewire. Now this is because, well, distros need to step it up because there's a lot of distros who technically have Pipewire as a package, but they don't really have Pipewire. They've like stripped out a bunch of features and stuff like that, making it not as useful. And people trying out Pipewire on those distros have a very bad experience because they don't really have Pipewire. Now, this is unfortunate, and the only one that I know of does it great is Fedora. Though to be fair, Fedora does have a strong advantage in this situation, considering Wim Tamens uses Fedora. So it does make it easier for them to have support for the thing that he's making on the platform. But it is something that I think that I, I can't wait for everyone to have access to use Pipewire because I've been using Pipewire since they made it default in Fedora and it is so nice. You don't have to do hardly anything to get started. If you wanna use Jack tools like Carla or QJack Control or whatever, you just install the applications and start using it because Pipewire detects it and works with it instantly. That is awesome. That is a game-changing type of experience because setting up Jack has 
not been the easiest thing to do for most distributions and, of course, most users. So Pipewire has so much potential, and the fact that they're doing it for not only audio but also video, I can't wait for, for Pipewire to be the default for every distro because at this rate, it's going to be, and it should be. It should be. So if you are a someone who develops on another distribution and has not really had the opportunity to try out Pipewire for your distro, please do so and please implement it fully and not like some of them who have stripped it down because it's not really that valuable when you strip out all the features that makes it awesome. If you'd like to learn more about this, about Pipewire in general or the latest version, I'll have links in the show notes below. Speaking of Fedora, let's talk about more Fedora stuff, such as Fedora 35 is currently available as a beta release. If you want to check it out and help test it and improve it, you can find links in the show notes. And the latest version of Fedora 35 has the latest GNOME 41 desktop environment, which has a lot of cool features that we talked about in a previous episode, such as uh, new multitasking settings, a new connections app that is a remote desktop client, also easier access to changing power modes and even automatic power management, depending on the battery level, a better performance, uh, also a lot, big improvements both visually and overall of the experience for the GNOME software app. So much good stuff in there. If you want to learn more about that, I have a link in the show notes for more information as well as a link to the episode we talked about GNOME 41 when it did release where we went way more in depth. So we'll have that linked in the show notes. Next up with Fedora 35, they're also doing a lot of updates to the Fedora spins related to LXQt, XFCE, Cinnamon, i3, and KDE. And speaking of Fedora KDE, uh, KDE Plasma 522 will be included in this latest release. But this is why, this is like a good opportunity and a good way for me to tell you why I'm such a fan of Fedora these days. Because 522 will be there by default. However, 523 will follow very shortly after release. It's very cool because a lot of times you get a distribution and you see what version of the DE they have and it's locked to that version until the next version of the, of the distribution is released. Whereas in the future, Fedora will have support with 523 when they do the update for it, which is awesome. Like that's just such a fantastic feature to have to be able to like, okay, I'm starting with this version, but not have to worry about, I still want to get the latest version and you can with Fedora. That's why I'm such a fan of Fedora these days. Also, another reason I'm a fan of Fedora is the new version of Fedora KDE spin that they're doing, which is called Fedora Kinoite. Now, this is basically Fedora Silverblue, but with KDE Plasma. So it's a special edition of Fedora Linux that has support for, uh, it's built around a Podman, RPM OS tree, flat packs, and of course, KDE Plasma. So Fedora Kinoite is an immutable desktop operating system, and this means that every installation is identical to every other installation of the same version. The operating system that is on disk is exactly the same from one machine to the next, and it never changes as it is being used because it uses a, like a read-only layer where you're not messing around with the main system, so it's intended to make it more stable, less prone to bugs, and also easier to test and develop. And everything you want to put onto it sits on top with flat packs to when you add new applications, you're using flat packs to do it, and it makes it really, really cool. And I can't wait to try out Fedora Kinoite, which is coming in the release of Fedora 35. Also, next up is that we have videos available now for Nest with Fedora. Now, videos for all of the talks are now available on a playlist. I'll have that linked in the show notes. 
uh, but including the podcast episode for the Fedora podcast talk that we did on the, it is in the playlist that I participated in. Uh, we talked about the what the Fedora podcast is, you know, why you should listen to it, as well as the integration with Destination Linux Network and so much more. So check that out. And also just a quick note, which I find really cool, is that if you look at the playlist, the video for the Fedora podcast is video number 42. Now, I don't know if that was, it was on purpose or it's just a coincidence, but, well, it's just perfect that it fit that. So, yeah, video 42 on the playlist. And also, there's a really great blog post, also written by Christian Schaller, uh, who wrote this blog post about the Fedora's vision of the Linux desktop. Uh, I think it's certainly worth the read, so I'll have it linked in the show notes below, as well as all the other stuff I've talked about with the Fedora related to 45, the Fedora podcast talk, the Nest with the Fedora, all that stuff in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we have a new release of OBS Studio, which is version 27.1. Now, 27.1 doesn't sound like it would be an exciting change because .1 implies a minor update, but this is a big update, and I am excited. Now, for those who are not aware of OBS Studio, um, there's, it's a very popular application, but it's possible that you might not be aware. It's a free and open source software for video recording and live streaming. I am a huge fan of OBS Studio. I have been using it to create my podcast, Destination Linux, This Week in Linux, as well as many other videos that I use and I make. There's all using OBS Studio. And OBS Studio 27.1 has a lot of cool stuff. For example, there's now available to have YouTube integration with the browser doc system and so much uh, integration to make it where it's not just a stream key that you're connecting to it. You can do a lot of great stuff with the new integration features. But in addition to this, they also have a new 18C scene multi-view option. Now, they previously had, I think, an 8-scene multi-view option, which means that you can pop up a quick, if you have multiple monitors, you can pop up a window that has multiple different scenes that you can easily use your mouse to quick, uh, quickly click on any of them to switch it to the, like the, the main program mode, which is the one that you see as it is being recorded. Now, this is very cool. I haven't tried the 18 scene one yet, but I did try the other one, and it is quite nice. I still prefer keyboard shortcuts versus this, but it is nice to see as well. There's also a new feature to allow browser sources to limit it, uh, have limited control over your OBS if you want it to, which can be used for a lot of cool custom integrations. And I have a ton of stuff that I have built custom for my OBS studio, so I can't wait to try this out. Also, there's a new option to draw safe areas in the preview, which is very nice. So you can basically have like a certain zone where you can tell like where you wanna have everything be and like a guide system, which is nice. They've also made it where uh, the hidden sources for your scenes will have the text dimmed so you can easily see, easily see and quickly see when you have something hidden rather than just the, like there is a, a little eyeball icon that you can turn off and on, which does indicate it but it's not as quick as looking at the text because you can very easily see the difference between an active scene and, or active source and an inactive source, which I, uh, it's, it's a very minor polish, but I am happy to see that. And another thing that I am super happy to see is that drag and drop for scenes and sources has been re-enabled for Linux, which is great because you know you previously had to just click the arrow button up and down. And when you have a lot of scenes, and a lot of sources in your scenes, like I do, a lot of clicking. Now being able to easily drag and drop it, fantastic. Now they removed it so that you could do the, un the undo and redo features, and now they have added it back. So 
super excited to you know be do some more building out my scenes because I constantly tweak them. I try, I constantly try to make them better, and this having drag and drop will make that a lot easier. And if you'd like to learn more about OBS Studio 27.1, I'll have links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager. And if you're not familiar with that, basically it's software that allows you to get peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do that? Well, it provides a lot of different tools for being able to store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do it. And you can access your data across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, your mobile applications, your desktop applications, or even on the command line. Plus, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your, your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices. So you know you're the only one who has access to your data. And this is a very important thing to have local encryption because you, that way you know that when the data goes to their servers, it's completely mangled gibberish of encrypted data. So you don't have to worry about you know, them, anyone having getting access to it because even if there is a leak or whatever, that stuff is encrypted and only you have the key to decrypt it, which is awesome. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you also want to check out their premium accounts because for less than a dollar per month, that's right, starting at less than a dollar per month, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. You also can check out the family accounts or the business accounts. So for example, if you want to help make make it possible for your friends and family or employees at a business to be able to easily get started with password managers, you can actually set up the account for them and be able to you know, guide them through the process of doing it and also be able to share passwords easily through an organizational vault or a family vault and that kind of thing. It's just so awesome. So check it out, bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we got some more app news. And in this case, we're going to talk about an app format, which is Flatpaks, because we have a couple things to talk about. First of all, Flatpaks have, they've actually merged preliminary support for Kvantum. Kvantum? Kvantum. I'm going to go with that one. So Kvantum, for those who are not familiar, is is a customizable SVG-based theme engine for Qt 5 that comes with a variety of built-in styles, and it works with KDE Plasma as well as LXQt. Uh, and if you are interested in checking it out, I have links in the show notes for more information about Kvantum and how you can install it, and regardless if you want to use it for flat, flat packs or not. But it's really cool to see support for flat packs having Kvantum. It is a very nice theme engine and it allows a lot of flexibility. So Flatpak getting this is great. And another thing that's great about Flatpak is that they have announced that they now have a support for donations. So if you'd like to support for the project of Flatpaks or the Flat Hub, you can be able to you know, some, give some money on a monthly basis through the open collective campaign that they have. And this is just great. I think more projects should have something like this, make it easier for people to you know, donate to them because there's, there's a lot of projects that... I'm a big fan of, but I'm not even able to donate to them directly because of a variety of reasons of not having donations and that kind of thing. So I know it makes it a little complicated in terms of collecting money, in terms of legal like ramifications and that kind of thing. So, you know, if there's something that you could do, I would suggest you do it because a lot of people would love to donate to a variety of different projects that they're not able to do so. So it's better to have the option than to not have the option. And I'm very glad to see that Flatpak now does have the option. 
So if you'd like to learn more about it or donate to Flatpaks, links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of WGit from GNU, and this is WGit 2, actually, version 2.0. This is a complete rewrite and new code base for WGit, which is based on libwgit, lib uh, which is a library for uh, web clients. There are many improvements over the original GNU WGit. So WGit 2 is faster. By the way, for those who are working on WGit 2, please just drop the 2 part because if that's going to be necessary to type it in, that's going to be a little bit annoying for tutorials and that sort of stuff. So, you know, just replace it and say, this is WGit, whatever. But for the comparison sake of like what we're talking about, I'm going to continue to call it WGit 2. Just FYI, that is a suggestion. So, GNU WGit2 supports uh, lots of imp- improvements. There, it's v- way faster than the previous version, and it, it supports uh, different uh, HTTP and HTTP protoc- HTTPS protocols, as well as retrieval through HTTPS proxies, as well as adding HTTP2 uh, uploading support and support for HTML5's download attribute, as well as support for uh, LZIP and also improvements for the integration with OpenSSL and so much more. But the biggest things are the HTTP2 and HTTP compression to increase the speed of WGit, but also they added support for multi-threading and parallel connections. Now, what that means is multi-threading is that your computer can use WGit2 in multiple threads, but also parallel connections is that you can connect to the same server multiple times so that if there's you know some kind of delay, it will basically say, well, I'm going to connect ten times and be able to download it all at once to be to connect it together for that final download, which just increases your the speed of having to do it because some servers will arbitrarily lower the speed for no reason at all, and having functionality for parallel connections improves that problem like pretty much eliminates it. So that's awesome to see. If you'd like to learn more about GNU WGit 2 and the latest release of 2.0, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show is Q4OS 4.6 has been released. It's been in development for over a year, and it is based on Debian 11 Bullseye with the Linux 5.10 LTS kernel. Now, what's interesting about Q4OS is the desktop environments that they offer. So first of all, they have KDE Plasma 5.20, and this is the available version that's in Debian, of course. But they also, as you can see, this is the screenshot for the Plasma edition. But another edition that they have that's just very interesting is the Trinity desktop environment, which is available at version 14.0.10. Now, for those who are unfamiliar, Trinity desktop environment was born as a fork of KDE 3.5 back in 2010. And TDE or Trinity Desktop Environment is now a fully independent project. And it still, it uses some stuff from the previous thing, but it's no longer connected to KDE in general. So Trinity Desktop Environment is an interesting uh, desktop for those who want to have a kind of Windows XP style design or who are comfortable with that. So Q4OS gives you the option for both KDE Plasma and TDE on the same installation as well, making it possible to easily switch between the two desktop environments, which is pretty cool. And also in Q4OS 4.6 introduces a cool update to their desktop profiler utility. It now supports custom profiles, and they say it's a feature that lets users uh, export their current desktop status as a snapshot that can be modified or edited to create other customized profiles 
profiles. And they say any profile is importable, so a user can import and apply it later on another piece of hardware. Also, a user basically, in other words, a user easily gets a fresh operating system installation configured and ready to work with minimal post-installation effort, which is very cool, I must say. So if you're interested in checking out Q4OS, whether it's the Plasma Edition or the Trinity Desktop Edition, we'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. So first of all, I want to tell you about the latest episode of Destination Linux, episode 245. We have a really in-depth, interesting conversation about what Linux needs to get desktop domination. Uh, basically, Linux is very close, but what do we need to get for like to kind of cross the finish line and get the domination for the desktop? Because if you're not familiar already, Linux is everywhere and essentially dominates everything but the desktop. So what do we need to make sure that it gets that as well? And we talk about that in that episode, Destination Linux 245. Also, be sure to check out Das Geek's latest video on his channel. For the best VPN, it is a really, really interesting comparison between NordVPN, ExpressVPN, ProtonVPN, Mozilla's VPN, Molvad, Pia, so much stuff. So check it out. It's a really great uh, breakdown of the different services that they offer, what like the value of each service, and so much great information. So check it out. Best VPN video. I'll have it linked in the show notes below. Also, check out Visuex.com. This is my company, what I make, uh, website design, graphic design, marketing. I also have some new services I'll be launching pretty soon. But I wanted to show it. I'll show you. I'm showing in the video. If you're listening to the podcast, you won't be able to see it when you go to the new website. Because if you go to the website, it still has the old version. But I have a brand new version coming out very soon. Uh, next couple of days or so. I can't wait to show it to you. If you want to see a quick sneak preview, then check out the video version of this episode to see that. But there's a lot of great stuff that I have planned for that uh, release. So I am definitely curious about what you think uh, when it comes out. So. If it's going to come out between the next this episode or the next episode, so feel free to leave a comment on this video uh, when it does happen, what your opinion of it is. So you can check out the links for everything I've mentioned here in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, then please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, PayPal, so many more. You can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss things, uh, stuff between the topics and also experience the wonderful, the wonderful way of how I make the show. Whether it's, uh, like I told you in the earlier, uh, in the, the intro of this episode, that I was going to have an adventure this week where it's going to either blow up in my face or it's going to go great. And uh, well, it blew up in my face. If you'd like to watch the, the blow up, then you can check out the unedited version of this episode by becoming a patron on Patreon or sponsors and that sort of thing. So uh, if you do want to see the blow up in my face part, uh, that will be linked for the patrons to do so. Also, if you'd like to support the show, you can order the Linux and Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at dlnstore.com. There's a lot of great stuff there in addition to the great shirts I just mentioned, but you can check out all the other stuff we have there for hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more, including aprons, so that if you are grilling on the weekend, you can twill while you grill and all that 
at dealinstore.com. And also, while you're there, be sure to check out more podcasting goodness from me and other people on the Destination Linux Network because we have uh, latest episodes of Destination Linux, Hardware Edix, as I'm co-host of both of those shows, but also we have so much great stuff. We have GameSphere, Pseudoshow, DLN Extend, and much more. Check it out by going to destinationlinux.network. And also, just a reminder, this show is streamed live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux canoes each and every week by going to dealinlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with the Destination Linux Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news. And the transition did not work. Okay, I'll do it manually this time. See? The adventure never stops. <laughs> never stops.